Welcome to the Preserving Family podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to equip you to gain insight, information, and inspiration to help you protect, teach, and guide your family during these turbulent times. Our goal is to provide tools and resources to help you strengthen and preserve your own marriages and families. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Mark and Janie Ogletree. Well, we are really excited to be here today. So glad you're here with us for an awesome topic. (laughs) We today have chosen to talk about the topic of discipline. And we were a little nervous to kind of throw that out there because I really feel like discipline is one of those words that everybody's like, or kind of has a negative connotation with it. Right. Kind of like the word repent in the church, you know, and we're like, someone talks about repentance or, oh, we're having a lesson on repentance and everyone's like, oh, because it kind of has a negative connotation, right. but it's not. It's an amazing principle and it's a principle of hope and joy. And so we hope today, by the end of today, that you'll see discipline in the same way, that you'll see discipline as exciting and hopeful and that you'll see discipline in a whole new light. That's our goal today. Right. It's to kind of put a new spin on discipline. <laughs> I think that's great. And I, I want, we want everyone to know that we are experts on this because all of our kids are grown and gone now, right? <laughs> we, we can would, say that now. We could have never done this when we had our kids at home, right? So, And because we've raised eight children and now we're watching our children raise our 24 grandchildren, we still feel like we're kind of in the thick of the discipline and watching them and having gone through it. We are the first to admit that we have made probably, because we had eight kids, we probably made eight times the mistakes as of anyone else, but, and it's not easy. Discipline and raising children is not easy, and we do not claim to be experts by any stretch of the imagination, but just hoping that today you'll walk away a little more encouraged or maybe armed with a little more information than maybe you had before. Yeah. In fact, some of you listening may remember the days of the Book of Mormon animated videos. And our our children watch those faithfully. It's always interesting to see what they take out of those. One day, our son, who was probably two or three, maybe four years old, um, had run out into the the street and I grabbed his arm. I was going to pull him back uh, into the driveway and probably give him a little swat on the rear when he said, touch me not, for I am filled with the power of God. (laughs) Sometimes you don't know whether to laugh or cry, but he was quoting that video perfectly. Quoting Nephi. (laughs) Nephi came to the rescue for him that day because all I could do was laugh, you know. But And be grateful that that Nephi taught him that and was his hero. (laughs) (laughs) Well, just to show you the complexity of this this topic, I want to go back, we want to go back to a statement that was made by... Elder James E. Faust at the time. It's a talk that we would refer you to. It was called The Greatest Challenge in the World, Good Parenting. And here's what he said. This is how he started off the talk. My beloved brothers and sisters and friends, I ask for your faith and prayers this afternoon as I feel moved upon to discuss a subject which I have chosen to call the greatest challenge in the world. It has to do with the privilege and responsibility of being good parents. On this subject, there are about as many opinions as there are parents, yet there are a few who claim to have all the answers, and I'm certainly not one of them. Now, that's refreshing to hear from an apostle at the time that he is not claiming uh, to be an expert. And then he said this, being a father or a mother is not only a great challenge, it's a divine calling. It is an effort requiring consecration. President David O. McKay stated that being parents is the greatest trust that has been given to human human beings. 
And then back to President Faust to finish this, this idea. He said, in my opinion, the teaching, rearing, and training of, of children requires more intelligence, intuitive understanding, humility, strength, wisdom, spirituality, perseverance, and hard work than any other challenge we might have in life. This is especially so when moral foundations of honor and decency are eroding around us. To have successful homes, values must be taught, and there must be rules, there must be standards, and there must be absolutes. Many societies give parents very little support in teaching and honoring moral values. A number of cultures are becoming essentially valueless, and many of the younger people in those societies are becoming moral cynics. Now, Janie, I don't know what you think about that, but when you consider that that was, you know, that 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 was shared and or taught in general conference in 1990. Mm. Wow, how things have changed or <laughs> or, or stayed the same in some ways, right? <laughs> just, just yeah, the culture is a little different. The things that stuck out to me in that was the words privilege and responsibility. But all the it also made me tired hearing all those words. Right, it is a lot of work. It's exhausting to parent to raise children, and but it is a huge privilege that's given to us by our heavenly Father and a huge responsibility. And I think every parent feels that weight. Right, we want our children to turn out. We want our children to be wonderful citizens, to be all in the church, to be talented, to be smart, to be gifted, and and um, it's and me. it's rough. It's rough. It's, not it's the hardest job in the world, hands down. I mean, people running corporations, <laughs> CEOs, I'd put them up against parenthood any day. Parenthood is 10 times harder. Parent, parenthood can bring the, one of the most successful CEOs to their knees, right? <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, in one study, 73% of adults said that parenting was their biggest challenge. And then 69% of parents said if they knew more about positive parenting strategies that they would engage in them or they would want to learn more about that. But to think that, that what did I say, 73% of all adults say that parenting is their biggest, biggest problem challenge. in their life. <laughs> yeah, that's eye-opening, isn't it? Yeah. And that's pretty much everyone. We're all in it together. We're all in this mix. So hopefully today we're going to you know, shed some new light on the word discipline, what it means, what it actually looks like. And we're going to spend a few more weeks going forward with some more you know, things about helping discipline and helping raise children. So hopefully we will all be armed and ready to <laughs> tackle this, right? <laughs> Prepared. Yeah. So we can, we see this being a, a multi-episode podcast for sure. So let's just talk about parenting styles for just a second. And so according to Diane Baumrein, we have authoritarian, which would be very high on demand and low on warmth, almost the drill sergeant type of parents, which I think is becoming probably less common today. What is more common, though, is permissive, which would be high on warmth and very low on demand. It's kind of a democracy, right, uh, in the home where, where the children actually feel they have as much say as, as like parents do. all the sitcoms do. out there, right, where the kids <laughs> rule the roost and parents are, <laughs> doofuses. Parents are idiots. <laughs> right. And uh, I, I personally feel that there's more permissive parents now than probably any other style, but I think I'm, I'm going to be wrong here according to data. Neglectful parents would be those who are very low on warmth, low on demand, probably don't want to be parents and probably shouldn't be. More absentee almost. Completely, yeah. And then authoritative would be what we want, right? High on, high on demand, but actually very high on warmth, high on connection, 
and relationship, most parents today in surveys, and usually the range is anywhere from 50 to about 80%, will say that they fall into the authoritative range. I don't know if that's what we actually see. It feels like, like I said a minute ago, that there's there's more uh, that there's more permissiveness today. But anyway, that's where people fall. And what we're really going for is that that authoritative. And the reason why is because what the research tells us is children who have those type of parents, those outcomes for them are incredible, right? I mean, they perform better academically. They perform better socially. They have better mental health, physical health. Their just overall well-being, uh, they, they score really high on those measures when they have those type of parents. So that's, that's the outcome we're looking for. So today, let's talk about the word discipline. Again, we kind of talked about a minute ago how maybe that might have a negative connotation, but the word discipline, we use it completely wrong when we say, oh, I need to discipline my child. Right. No, we equate that with punishment, and that's not true. Right. The word discipline is not to punish. Discipline is to teach, to mm. lead, and to inspire. And right. so when our children you know, are doing something wrong, we don't immediately go over and punish them or scream and yell or whatever. We go take them aside and we teach them. That's the goal, to teach them, to lead them, to inspire them, to teach them the principle, maybe what they're doing isn't right and how we need to be kinder or nicer or not hit our sister or whatever. The word dis- dis- discipline is derived from Latin discipulus, which means a learner. Mm. So yeah. we're hoping that in that moment, our child is learning, oh, that's not right. I shouldn't hit my sister. I shouldn't throw rocks at the window, whatever it is. Right. And and so, and those who enact discipline are the teachers. So that's our role as parents. That's our divine responsibility, our divine privilege to teach these children. And mm. we teach them way better than anyone else. But so I hope if you don't take anything else away today, that you will take away that discipline is to teach to lead, to inspire. It's not punishment. Mm -hmm. And that's how we need to maybe change our focus in our homes is looking at our children as learners. And we are trying to be the teachers to teach them these principles. Yeah, whatever those principles are. And And to take the time to do that often is inconvenient, right? To pull a kid off to the side and say... Or a child, you know, and to say, and to explain to them, hey, this is why we're this is why this is not good, right? Or what you just did is not cool. <gasps> and I think along with that, it does take time. It takes patience. Sometimes it takes us controlling our angers. We're gonna our anger and our rage or whatever because maybe this is the twentieth time we've talked about talked about this with them or whatever. We're yeah. gonna talk about some of those things in a few minutes. But I really love that mindset of that we are teaching our children that it's not about punishment it's not about threatening it's not about yelling it's not about you know insulting or whatever it's about guiding teaching loving and this is the pattern of the savior this is how jesus christ would parent this is how jesus christ teaches us and leads us right with long suffering with kindness with love with teaching over and over and so probably easier said than done totally easier said than done for sure and, right. You know, we've all been there in the heat of the moment. And yeah. this is the ideal. We all fall short. I, me being number one, <laughs> fall short. But this is probably the ultimate goal. Well, thank you. I, no, I, Janie, that's a great perspective. Um, obviously, what you just explained could not be done in a rage or in a fit of anger at all. Sometimes we, we need to step away. 
So let me share a, a perspective that has helped me. Um, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, here's the Apostle Paul. And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now, those two words are really interesting. In fact, the only other place you'll find that com- com- combination, nurture and admonition, is in the book of Enos, in the book of Mormon. The word nurture comes from the Greek word pedia, which is to tutor or train or to educate, or as we would say, to teach. But it also implies correction, chastening. And the Lord does love who he chastens, right? Yeah. The word admonish, and I'm not even going to try to say that one, but it looks like nuthsia, uh, is a mild rebuke or a warning. Um, so our responsibility as parents is to nurture, to educate, to correct, and once again, to teach, not so much to punish. Here's a great translation from the Jerusalem Bible. And parents, never drive your children to resentment, but in bringing them up to correct them and to guide them as the Lord does. I love that. Or how about this one in the, new, the NIV version of the Bible? Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. No, I love that. Back to the idea, you know, that we're trying to teach them as the Lord would teach them. And teaching them to become like our Savior and our Heavenly Father. Right, exactly. Well, to say that parents are disciplinarians really is to say that they're teachers. And if, and if we as parents don't teach our children, I promise someone will. And I remember that. I mean, I grew up in a day when... And many of you did too who are listening. And Janie, I know you did, but neighbors didn't have any trouble disciplining you if you're out of line. You know, if, in other words, if your parents weren't going to do it, the neighbors would do it, you know. Uh, but so the idea is that if we don't teach them, someone's going to. Yeah. I, I echo what Elder Robert D. Hale said um, several years ago in one of his conference talks, Our Duty to God, the Mission of Parents and Leaders to the Rising Generation. It was an excellent talk, but he said, research shows that during the most important transitions of life, including those periods where youth are most likely to drift away from the church, the greatest influence doesn't come from an interview with the bishop or some other leader, but from the regular, warm, friendly, caring interaction with parents. When you say that, I think of this concept we hear a lot today of Positive parenting, you know, those traits of warm, friendly, caring. It's Christ-like parenting, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. And then Elder Callister, our brother Callister's talk, that parents, the prime gospel teachers of their children, I don't know if much more needs to be said about that, but he made that very clear that that is our key responsibility. You know, something I read a long time ago that has had a huge influence on me is something that Stephen R. Covey taught. You know, he's talking about... The greatest model for influence and teaching is really looking at how people are brought into the church. And he said, is the process democratic? Is it laissez-faire? Is it authoritarian? He says, no, it's, it's people are brought into the church, he said, with love and testimony and with the spirit. And he said, the whole process lubricates the steps of change within them so that they come to understand, to be edified, and to know the truth. And then they make covenants and they enter the waters of baptism. But then he said this, this magnificent conversion model is the key to family life and marriage. We should treat our children 
as if they were investigators. Now, we don't use that term anymore. Now we say friends, right? The missionaries are teaching friends. So we should treat our children as if they were friends, friends investigating the church, and follow the same principles that missionaries use in working with their friends. You don't force friends into the gospel. You don't ridicule them. You don't embarrass them and punish them for their stupidity or their laziness or their slothfulness, he said. We teach them with love. We teach them with influence. And I remember that very well as a missionary. You'd go to these people's home. You've taught them a few lessons, and you would ask them, now, did you remember to, to read that assignment that we gave you? And they would say, no, I, we didn't do anything. And you would just say, you know what? That's okay. Don't worry. We'll, we'll do it. <laughs> Let's we'll do try it again this week. Yeah. Where if our kids forgot something, right? Or, Why didn't you do that? You right. We would, we would be all over them for that, right? So anyway, I just love that idea that, that to treat our children as if they're coming into the church and how we would welcome them and treat them and, and with open arms and kindness and love. Yeah, I love that. And I love I love today our love, share, invite principle, you know, that oh, we yeah. are taught. And if we use that on our children, can you imagine the difference? If we love them and then, you know, patiently, kindly shared our testimonies, our teachings of the gospel, anything that we wanted them to learn, and then invited them, I think that that would go a long way into helping convert our children and and um and teach them teach them the gospel teach them the things that we want them to know in this world that is such a great pattern for influence isn't it so sometimes you know janie and i we've talked about this we've talked about it as we were parents of how could our kid do something so stupid and uh (laughs) and then it didn't take us long to go backwards and remember our own stupid things that we did that we couldn't explain that well for for those of you out there that are wondering how in the world could they do that we don't know, right? Because when we were when we were that age, we did some crazy things. Right. And someone told me that early on is because anytime my kids did something dumb, I was like, why did you do that? And they just look at you and like, I don't know. And we didn't know either. So they said, stop asking that question because they literally don't know. But um, that we were kind of just reminiscing a little bit and, and thinking about the time when, Mark, you were young. Well, no, I think I was in fifth grade and I thought it would be an awesome idea to write my name in our front, beautiful, immaculate lawn with gasoline from the lawnmower. <laughs> so I just spelled my name perfectly. And as anyone knows much about gas, it didn't really do much for the first day or so. But by about the third or fourth day, there was my name in dead grass <laughs> uh, print all through the front lawn. Of course, when my dad uh, called me forward and asked if I did it, and when I said when it said M-A-R-K, that was kind of hard to <laughs> to get out of. But then, of course, the obvious question of why did you do that? And to be able to say, uh, I have no idea. Right? <laughs> like, why would I just take 20 minutes to spell my name perfectly with gas in the front yard? Just thought it would be cool. Yeah. I remember a time my mom took me to buy, I begged her to go buy me these cool white tennis shoes. And I immediately went home and took markers, permanent markers, and colored designs all over them. I remember her being so furious at me and saying, why did you just do that? And I, in my brain, I was like, I don't know, just because the other kids at school had graffiti <laughs> all over their shoes, and I thought it was cool. So <laughs> I, remember I wasn't that even era. thinking. <laughs> I remember the day of kids having the peace signs uh, all over their uh, shoes and everything else. Our, our granddaughter 
a few years ago, picked up a rock and wrote her name on the back of their car, you know, yeah. totally keyed, you know, rocked their car. Engraved her name in there. And, <laughs> but at least they knew how, who did it. Yeah. Like, and their parents were just like, why did you do that? And she's like, I don't know. It just looked like a cool canvas to write my name on. <laughs> and so. Anyway. And we have a grandson or granddaughter that just painted their couch or something yeah. with fingernail polish yep. or yes. markers or. Yep. So we parents, we're. Our children are going to do dumb things. We did dumb things. We still do dumb things, right, as adults. And so, but what happens in order to discipline our children, to teach them, we have to be in control. Yeah. Because there is no way that we can teach, guide, influence, influence if we're not, if we're out of control. Right. And so if we're going to discipline, we've got to be disciplined, right? We've exactly. got to have to be disciplined ourselves. And uh, keep in control, be cool, because if we lose it, then our children have lost it, right? Right. And I love, Janie, what we've talked about before, even this week, you were kind of sharing this idea of Jesus writing in the sand in John chapter 8, you know, as those Pharisees are gathered around him and accusing the woman who was caught in adultery. He's just doodling in the sand. He is not in a hurry. I love that about him. How I guess, how do we doodle in the sand when our kids are, <laughs> are doing crazy things is the question. And sometimes we need to step away, right? We've talked about sometimes we need to go in the bathroom and breathe for a minute. Sometimes if it's late at night and our child comes in late from curfew, maybe we need to just say, let's talk about this in the morning. Let's take a breather. But um, one of the things I really liked from our latest general conference was Elder Mark Bragg talking about poise. And I think we that, need, that... We need poise. Yeah, I think parents. that translates over here and he talked about being calm cool and collected in all situations and particularly in times of adversity and pressure and he tells this incredible story of um, president nelson and he said president nelson is a wonderful example of spiritual poise one time while then dr nelson was performing a quadruple coronary artery bypass the patient's blood pressure dropped suddenly Dr. Nelson calmly assessed the situation and identified that a clamp was accidentally removed by one of the team members. It was replaced immediately, and Dr. Nelson comforted the team member, saying, I still love you, and then added jokingly, sometimes I love you more than other times. (laughs) (laughs) He showed how an emergency should be handled with poise, focused on what matters most, addressing the emergency. President Nelson said, it's a matter of extreme self-discipline, and which I really think that that applies to parenthood. You know, let's you. let's focus on what matters most. And I think we can honestly all say that is we love our children. Sometimes we love them more than others, like you said. But <laughs> True. we cannot discipline. We cannot be an effective teacher. We cannot be an effective leader, a guide, if we are out of control. If we are disciplining or punishing in anger, in um, frustration. He said, you have got to stay as calm and relaxed and sharp as you were. Of course, the Savior is the ultimate example of poise. And I love that. I think that totally applies to parenthood and to try to discipline and train and teach our children. Yeah. And once again, easier said than done, but something to work on. What a great trait. In fact, when Elder Bragg spoke of that, I thought, okay, that is a great Christ-like trait that I could probably work on right now in my life. You know, one perspective that I think we'd like to share when it comes to being teachers is that we want to do it, we want to engage in this process while our children are young. I think there's a tendency sometimes to want to wait and to think that, you know what, we're not taking this parenting thing too serious right now, but someday, maybe when they're in school or a little bit later, we'll really start cracking down and having them have some rules and 
and chores and things like that. But I'm thinking, man, if your kid is five, five or six years old, and you really don't have a parenting plan, if if you can't identify what you're about and what you're doing, you may want to buckle your seatbelt and put the lap bar down because t- the teenage years are coming ahead. And that does remind me of one of my favorite talks that President Gordon B. Hinckley gave years ago. We, re- we, we, we want to recommend it to everyone. The talk was given in the General Conference of October of 1993, and it was entitled, Bring Up a Child in the Way He Should Go. I love this story. I do too. Um, he says, President Inkley said, not long after we were married, we built our first home. We had very little money. I did much of the work myself. It would be called sweat equity today. The landscaping was entirely my responsibility. The first of many trees that I planted was a thornless honey locust, envisioning the day when its filtered shade would assist in cooling the house in the summertime. I put it in a place in the corner where the wind from the canyon to the east blew the hardest. I dug a hole, put in the bare root, put soil around it, poured on the water, and largely forgot it. It was only a wisp of a tree, perhaps three quarters of an inch in diameter. It was so supple that I could bend it with ease in any direction. I paid little attention to it as the years passed. Then one winter day, when the tree was barren of leaves, I chanced to look out my window at it. I noticed that it was leaning to the west, misshapen and out of balance. I could scarcely believe it. I went out and braced myself against it, as if to push it upright, but the trunk was now nearly a foot in diameter. My strength was not was nothing against it. I took from my tool shed a block and a tackle, attaching one end to the tree and another to the well-set post. I pulled the rope. The pulleys moved a little, and the trunk of the tree trembled slightly, but that was all. It seemed to say, You can't straighten me. It's too late. I've grown this way because of your neglect, and I will not bend. <laughs> this is such a, a great story. So then he says, Finally, in desperation... I took my saw and cut off the great heavy branch on the west side. The saw left an ugly scar more than eight inches across. I stepped back and surveyed what I had done. I had cut off the major part of the tree, leaving only one branch growing skyward. More than half a century has passed since I planted that tree. My daughter and her family live there now. The other day I looked again at the tree, and it is large. Its shape is better. It is a great asset to the home, but how serious was the trauma of its youth and how brutal the treatment I used to straighten it. When it was first planted, a piece of string could have held it in place against the forces of the wind. I could have and should have supplied that string with ever so little effort, but I did not, and it bent to the forces that came against it. He goes on to say, I have seen a similar thing many times in children whose lives I have observed. The parents who brought them into the world seem almost to have abdicated their responsibility. The results have been tragic. A few simple anchors would have given them strength to withstand the forces that have shaped their lives, and now it appears it's too late. So in Proverbs 22.6, it says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And to me, that's an incredible promise. That as we start teaching from birth, right? When they're and young. Disciplining and training. Right. And teaching that, that we have that promise that they will not depart from it. And even if they do, that they will come back. And not all the teaching we engage in needs to be reactive. And I think most of it is. As I look back on my own parenting, I was reacting to something our children did instead of being proactive and addressing things before they even became an issue. You know, I love that verse in Deuteronomy, speaking of the word of God, that we should teach them diligently unto thy children, his words, and talk of them 
when thou sittest down in thy house, when thou walkest by the way, we would say, well, I'll drive you to the car. When you liest down and when you risest up, that's Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 and 7. To take advantage of these awesome teaching moments and to, once again, not wait for uh, to have to react to something that our children have done, but to, but to be preventative. I love that. I love that as we walk and talk and ride in the car and work in the garden or whatever we're doing with our children, we can teach them principles of chastity, of honesty, of kindness, of love, and using examples from our families, from the prophets, from the scriptures to prevent having to later <laughs> hardcore discipline or <laughs> dig out of a or, <laughs> really deep hole, right? That we... Yeah. So I love, I love the principle of kind of the proactive, proactive disciplining, you know, of teaching them ahead of time. And I know that, yeah, a lot of that isn't just squarely on discipline. I mean, I know that a lot of times in our life, it was just thinking of gospel analogies and metaphors and what lessons can we learn from that experience that just happened to someone that you know, or Elder Hale said, we can take advantage of the teaching moments in our own families, and that means now. Don't let them slip by. When an opportunity comes to share your thoughts about the gospel and the lessons of life, stop everything. Sit down and, he said, talk to your children and grandchildren about those things. And so, yes, and, and there are things happening in life every day. I know this is getting off a little bit just into teaching in general, but the events that are happening around us every day uh, is a great opportunity, creates a great opportunity for us to sit with our children and, and, to, and to share some thoughts and ideas. And this, this kind of transitions into another thought that we have, and that is that, wow, every child is different, that you can't, as we all know, you, you just can't parent your children the same way. We learned <laughs> and, that one, didn't we? <laughs> and, I mean, I think you've had every parent think or say, you know, don't we wish they came with their own personal handbook? We right. Be, because they are all so different. And that adds a whole nother set of challenges on top of disciplining and teaching and training and loving and and helping a child grow. Because, you know, with our eight children... We had to figure out eight different ways to discipline. <laughs> we had some children that if you just gave them a look, they would shape right up. And maybe even start to cry, <laughs> you know. And with other children, you know, it was a lot more severe of what we had to do to get their attention, right? And so every one of them is so different. We I remember. Had, oh, go ahead. Honey. <laughs> I was going to say, you know, we had certain children that if they would do wrong, we'd send them to their room. And that was like devastating to them. They could not, they hated it more than anything. Like they and were we, banished to an island far <laughs> off. We had another child we found out that once we sent them to their room, they loved it because they loved to read. They loved their, you know, quiet time. <laughs> they and, loved being away from all of us. Yeah, probably. and they, that was a privilege. And so we learned, okay, that's not, that didn't help the situation. <laughs> that wasn't well, it. Well, I, I love, Janie, something you said a while back, which was one per, one person's punishment could actually be the privilege to another, and I think that's true. And vice versa, yeah. Right. So, yeah, we certainly need to figure that out with every child and, and find out what motivates them. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and uh, you know, motivated by money, time with a parent, kind words, gifts. What is it that motivates them and even drives them to, to do good, change? to make choice, to make right choices? We, I think we learned that as parents, too, that it was way easier to find what motivates them and what brings them joy and what excites them versus punishing, you know, in, mm -hmm. in the end. So find ways to help your children make good decisions. What we had a daughter that was, would act up and she was kind of the class clown, you know, in school. <laughs> 
And she loved to just get everyone laughing, kind of get everyone going. The teachers were furious, furious at her. <laughs> and I was getting calls every day, you know, from the office, like, oh, yeah. come up and meet with your daughter. Well, that was her sixth grade year. In seventh grade year, she's an incredible athlete, and she wanted to play sports in her middle school. And um, the very first call, well, I guess we had several calls again that year. <laughs> and after a while, the principal literally, or the vice principal looked at her and said, and the coach came in too, and he said, if I get one more call of this, you are not going to play. I'm going to bench you. You're not going to play on the team. And that is all it took. She never acted out again <laughs> because we found out what motivated her. Right. You know, it, me, us threatening her, us punishing her, us grounding her, nothing, none of that worked until she found out she couldn't play, get on the court. And that solved it from her coach saying. And I literally don't re remember much trouble after that with no. her for a while, as long as she was but, involved in sports. So we always were trying to find out what motivated that child. And we had children that would love money, that would do anything if they got paid. If we'd have other children that would do it for praise, if we just praised them, they they would totally, you know, shape up. Sure. And so you just have to find what works for each child. Yeah. And that takes a while. That's nope. not easy. That's not easy at all. So when we kind of talked about the whys of discipline when we were preparing for this, because being a parent is so hard. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, when you think about, oh, my goodness, we have to learn how to do this. We have to read each child. Each child is different. Why, why go through the hoops? Why not just let them figure it out on their own? Yeah. Which, you know, that's called permissive parenting. Some parents do. But um, we kind of got thinking it's for their own safety, right? So we teach children when they're young, you don't run in the road, you don't touch the hot stove. So there's many things like that. And with our teenagers, there's lots of rules that we have to for keep the, them safe. For their safety, for sure. Yeah. It's so that they'll be happy. They can grow up and be wonderful citizens of the earth and hopefully citizens of, of God's you know, kingdom of God's on kingdom earth. On sure. earth. That they'll have peace. There's all kinds of research about children who are regulated, learn how to regulate themselves. And I know from our, in our family, we always felt very strongly that our children needed to learn how to be obedient to us as parents, because we thought, how if they can't obey us, how are they ever going to obey the laws of the land? How are they ever going to obey a mission president? How are they ever going to obey the Lord? How are they ever going to obey a prophet if they can't learn simple obedience and discipline right now in their own lives. So that's, right. that's why it became very important for us. I like that. You know, one of the things, Janie, I think about is, you know, these principles of discipline apply to parents as much as children, right? That as parents, we need to be disciplined. And I know that years ago, as I was examining my own parenting approach, I just wasn't really happy about it. Not that I was a horrible parent. I thought I was trying to be pretty good, but with eight children, with five of them teenagers at the same time, I thought, you know, some days I was pretty much, I felt taxed to the limit, you know, and uh, I noticed that I was becoming angrier with our children. I wasn't enjoying them as much as I used to. I was getting frustrated and irritated. And that was the day that I had my own kind of revelation, you know, that I needed to take a different approach and move and transition from this idea of punitive discipline, right, of punishing to teaching. And instead of getting angry or upset, I began to really embrace my role as a teacher. And, and so luckily in that, uh, in that home, we had a great little office in the front of our house. And I know sometimes when I told our children, why don't you meet me in my office, they started to have... <laughs> they all rolled their eyes like, no, uh, not, not the not, office. Yeah, not the office. <laughs> but 
we begin to teach, you know, we begin to open the scriptures. And I didn't want them to feel that the scriptures were being used as a weapon. I, I wanted being to preached try, at. Yeah, I wanted to make sure that was done in the right way. But I learned to share with them, you know what one of my favorite scriptures is on this? And, and we would read the scripture and talk about it, you know. And and once again, I'm not going to say that that overnight that just changed our family culture immediately. But it changed me, you know, and, and that was probably the miracle in the whole thing is the change that was being made in me. I think, you know, that there were incremental changes that our children were making. But I was finding more love for the gospel, more love for life, more love for my children as we were kind of creating that opportunity to be together and, and, and to talk about the gospel together. And I'm, I'm sure that had an impact on them, you know. And it just felt right. And then I felt like there was almost a cool challenge of, okay, I got to figure out what the next scripture is going to be, you know, that, that's going to pertain to maybe something that we need to talk about. Um, there were some probably common ones, you know, common scriptures that I think everyone could relate to. For example, uh, wish we could say that we never had any contention among our children, <laughs> but we did. And so 3 Nephi eleven twenty nine was a great verse to read, you know, the contentions of the devil. Another favorite one for me was in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 to 32, where I think Paul gives some great examples of what a Christ-like home looks like, where he talks about being kind to each other and tenderhearted, and let no corrupt communication come forth or proceed out of your mouth. Not only would we read that, but let's talk about it, and what, what does that mean to you, and how do you feel about it? Fighting, Mosiah 4, verses 13 and 14, where King Benjamin teaches us that the parents shouldn't have their children quarreling, you know, with each other. Disobedience, one of my favorites was Ephesians chapter 6, the first verse, that uh, parent, our children, obey your parents. That was a really simple <laughs> They all one. love that one, right, when we pull that one out. That was a favorite, right? And, and then there's so many scriptures that teach parents how to be in control. I mean, Doctrine and Covenant section 121, verses 36 to 41 is a great, in my mind, a great treaty, so to speak, on, on how parents need to be meek and kind and gentle in their approach with their children. And so, yes, there's a lot, right? There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of scriptures uh, and teachings of the gospel, doctrines of the gospel that, that uh, can really help and talk about bringing the spirit into a relationship when one of your children has just done something wrong and you can sit down and talk about the gospel a little bit together and, and share a scripture versus yelling or getting mad or some kind of punitive consequence, I think it goes a lot better. One thing I love, Mark, that you started doing with the kids as they got older is you would have them write a paper. <laughs> oh, yeah? So say yeah. that, you know, they, let's just use honesty for an example. Say they hadn't been honest or they had lied to us or whatever. You'd have them go in and write a two to three page paper on the principle of honesty. And Mark would have them give, <laughs> make them, they'd have to use a couple scriptures. They'd have to use something for the strength of youth. And then they'd have to write a kind of about what they did and why that was dumb. And, you know, and it was, it, it was an awesome way because they'd have to go in and think about what they did, write this paper, and then we'd read it. And it would end, I think it usually ended very well with very loving, kind you know, instead of saying, okay, well, you're grounded for three weeks or whatever, 
you know, we got to talk about it. It ended with love, with hugs, and said, you know, okay, this is why we don't do this. It was a teaching moment. It turned it into a teaching moment. But I think in the in the process, it helped them learn as they had to look up scriptures on honesty, as they had to, you know, dig dive into the strength of youth. I thought that was a really powerful thing that I think most of our kids did. Yeah. I think each one of them probably at some point had to write a paper on something. <laughs> That's what happens when your dad is the institute director and the bishop of the ward at the same time. But I do, and I thought, you know, Janie, what that did, though, is it was getting the gospel into their hearts. You find some scriptures. You find what prophets have said about that topic. Right, and, and then you come, then you're when you're done, you come to us and we'll, you know, we'll yeah, talk you about are, it. <laughs> yes, exactly. I felt that was, you know, that was helpful, so... Maybe we can close today with one brief story that has had an impact on me. A few years ago, I I was doing some research on Joseph F. Smith and ran across this story that I think would be great to, to share. So on one occasion, Joseph's son, Willard, was playing in the road in front of the Beehive House, and a bully approached Willard, kind of roughed him up, and actually shoved his face in the mud. He almost suffocated, and this was February. You can imagine how cold and that mud would have been in that water. It was near Valentine's Day. And back in those days, kids wrote Valentines. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. They wrote Valentines to each other. And Willard decided to write a Valentine card to the bully, including a, a, an evil word, a kind of a wicked, nasty word, almost every evil word that he could think of. Now, Joseph, his father, just to make a longer story a little bit shorter, basically caught wind of that someone someone discovered this valentine card and it came back to joseph f smith willard's father and one morning after family prayer joseph f smith followed that routine of kissing all of his children he was very affectionate except for willard and kind of like me he said uh I guess I'm more like him. He came first, but uh, let's meet in the office. Meet me at the office. Our yeah. kids dreaded words. <laughs> so Willard goes into his dad's office and waits patiently as Joseph F. wrote, wrote at his desk, meaning back to that technique, Janie, you talked about of Jesus doodling in the sand. You know, He is in no hurry. He's patient. He's kind. Then he opens his Bible and says, Willard, come close. And what does this say? And Willard read a verse, swear not at all. And then Joseph F. turned to another passage and asked Willard to read that. And Willard said, it says, forgive 70 times 7. Joseph agreed with his son and then had him read a third scripture, then a fourth and a couple of more. This process of teaching from the scriptures went on for 20 minutes. And then Joseph F. said, come here, son, and then embraced Willard and kissed him. And that was the end of the lesson. And then as an adult, years later, Willard Smith said, you know, I never used a bad word again. You know, Joseph had, had won his son over with love. But I think this idea that discipline is teaching and that as parents, we need to find ways to engage our children in this kind of learning process, right? And us as parents, too, we've got to figure out what can we teach our children and how can we teach it? And since all of our children are different, how do we teach this child versus another? But to teach them and to teach them from the scriptures and to share our testimonies with them and to share our love with them is probably something that will have more of an impact on their life than almost any other type of discipline that we could enact. Right. And again, that we as parents have to be disciplined ourselves in order to teach our children. (laughs) We have to be in control. We have to be filled with love. 
you know, charitable, calm, cool, collected, all those things in order for our children to be taught, which is, I think the hardest thing is for us to work on ourselves, <laughs> to not scream and yell, rant and rave and get caught up in the emotion of disciplining, but to take the time to be loving, kind, thoughtful. Yeah. And like, and like Joseph F. Smith sitting at the desk writing for a few minutes until he talks to his son or Jesus doodling in the sand, maybe one invitation for let's do something could be something along those lines, you know, to parents is how can we do a little bit more doodling in the sand before we rep reprimand? And then I think a second invitation would be something along the lines of finding, finding ways to teach each of our children. And, and as all of us know, you have to have a relationship with them first before you can teach them anything. If there's no relationship, you're they're not going to learn anything. They won't take anything from you. So if the relationship right now is rocky, work on fixing the relationship because nothing will happen until that relationship is intact. We hope that you've enjoyed this time together and this discussion on discipline. And for all of us as parents and grandparents, perhaps we can work this week a little bit more on focusing on our role as teachers and how we considering how we influence our children in positive ways. Until next time, we hope you have a wonderful week.